Please join me for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will. Set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated and welcome to Christ the King this morning. I find it helpful when I sit down in front of a text, a biblical text or any text, to ask a basic question, the basic question of what is the author's purpose? Why did they sit down to write? And as you approach, as I approach that very simple question, this text with that very simple question, this text being 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as I approach that text with that question, what is the purpose? I came to this answer. The author's purpose in writing is to give hope to the bereaved by providing information about the deceased. Hope for the bereaved by providing information about those who have deceased, those who are dead. Now let me unpack that sentence. This passage is addressed to those who grieve. Now there are many reasons to grieve, and this passage addresses one in particular, the grief that is accompanied by loss, or the loss that is accompanied by grief. Have you lost someone you loved? A loved one? Family? A father? A friend? Loss causes grief. All of us have lost. All of us will lose. This passage is addressed to those who grieve the loss of a loved one. And it is written in order to give those who grieve hope. Look at verse 13. I am writing so that you may not be like others who have no hope, but that you instead may have hope. That's important. The author's purpose is not to eradicate grief. The author does not say, I am writing in order that you might have, not have grief or that grief may go away. Grief is not bad. One of my favorite stories, The Lord of the Rings, in the final chapter, as a faithful Sam grieves to learn that he cannot accompany his friend Frodo on his final journey, Gandalf the Grey says to Sam, I will not say do not grieve, I will not say do not cry, for not all tears are evil. Nothing wrong with grief. Grief is not bad, he, his purpose in writing is not to eradicate it, rather to provide hope in the midst of it. Grief and hope can coexist and do coexist. Sadly, grief and despair also coexist. The contrast that the author is drawing is not between hope and grief, but between grief and hope and grief that's mixed with despair. How is he going to provide hope in the midst of despair? He is going to provide hope through information. We do not want you to be uninformed. Again, verse 13. And information is the remedy for those who are uninformed. Now, just a little caution before we all head out of this church as grief counselors armed with information. I think that most people in the midst of grief do not need more information, especially theological information, especially when grief is raw. Most people simply need someone to listen to them. However, the information that is provided in these few verses can and will provide hope in the midst 
of grief. So let's look at what the author says. I see five attributes that he uses to describe the state of the Christian dead. These five words capture the present condition and the future destiny of all those who have died in Christ. Those five attributes are rest, return, resurrection, reunion, and rejoice. A brief word on each. What is, is the current state of those who have died in Christ? In this passage, sleep as is equated with death, death. And this is consistent throughout the Bible. Jesus refers to Lazarus' death as sleep. The final words of our funeral service include these words, may the souls of the departed, actually not the final words, but they're close to the final words, may the souls of the departed rest in peace. The Apostle Paul, as he neared the end of his life, the same author of this text in front of us, the Apostle Paul wrote, my fight is finished, my race is done, and after the fight, after the race comes rest. So rest is the current state of the Christian dead. I think it's reasonable to want to know more, isn't it? We want to know what our departed, our dearly departed are doing. What kind of rest is it? Are they looking down from heaven? Are they reunited with their loved ones? Is it a happy rest? These are all very reasonable questions, but we just don't know. We should be careful about strongly held opinions that do not have any biblical support. And here in this passage and consistent throughout the Bible, the state of the Christian dead is described as one of rest. Their fight is finished. Their race is run. And now they rest. Now recall the author said, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep. And I think most of us are a little uninformed. I think we have a deficit in our understanding of the Christian hope. Because most of us think of rest as not only the current state, but as the perpetual state. May they rest in peace now, and may they rest in peace forever. And that sounds okay, because I like rest. Rest is good. But there are a couple of problems with rest being the final destiny of the Christian dead. Number one problem, it's not very hopeful. Around our table, I for the past 12 years at our dinner table, I ask our six children, what is the best part of their day? And never once in over 12 years with six kids have I ever heard that rest or sleep is the best part of their day. No, rest is necessary, sleep is okay, but we rest so that we can rise. We sleep so that we can wake. It's not particularly hopeful, is it? Problem B, with rest being the final destiny of the Christian dead, it's not particularly unique. Now, you may be aware of the plummeting statistics of church attendance in America. 
pretty paltry. Religious affiliation is on the decline. But surprisingly, there's one belief that is tenacious, and that is belief in the afterlife. That hovers around 80%. So no religious affiliation, don't believe in much of anything, yet believe in an afterlife. Sounds like uh, getting something for nothing in me, but that's another story. So uh, interestingly, that statistic bumps up to 90% if that, uh, the same study done by AARP. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, and 80 to 90% of people believe that in life after death, believe that the soul goes on to some sort of rest. And if we, a Christian, were to say, hey, look, I've got some great news for you. Your soul is going to live on in a state of rest for eternity. I think most people, even those with no religious convictions, would say, yeah, yeah, it's kind of what I thought. What's the big deal? When the Christian faith announced the good news of the life after death, it was something remarkable. And what is remarkable about the Christian faith is not that there is life after death, but it's the nature of the life after death. That is what is unique, and that is what is hopeful. Problem C, if rest is the final end of the Christian dead, it's not very biblical. Now, in these four verses we have in 1 Thessalonians, we have the most detailed explanation of the current state and future destiny of those who have died. And it's only four verses. So it is not enough to answer every question, to satisfy every curiosity, but it is enough to give hope. So let's look at these next few verses. What comes after rest? After rest, verse 16 comes, Return, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet. The translator J.B. Phillips writes it with a little bit more vividness. He says, One word of command, one shout from the archangel, one blast from the trumpet of God, and the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The sleep of the Christian dead will be interrupted by the overwhelming and unavoidable universal return of Christ. A supernatural end. A supernatural interruption. Now let me just pause for a moment. I think there are many aspects of Christian faith that, are, that, that, that seem very reasonable to us. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that sounds very reasonable. And because it sounds reasonable, we find it acceptable. But Christianity is an explicitly supernatural religion. There are some aspects of our faith that require just that. Faith. We cannot prove that Christ will come again. We don't accept it because it is reasonable according to our standards of what is reasonable. Instead, we believe that Christ will come again because it is written. And if you'll note, at the end of every chapter of this short little letter ends with the same note, the return of Christ. Chapter 1, 
ends with this instruction. Verse 10, we are to wait for the sun to come from heaven. Chapter 2 ends with a rhetorical question. Verse 19, what is our hope or joy before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Chapter 3 ends with a prayer. Verse 11, that our hearts may be blameless before our God at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Chapter 4 and 5 are almost entirely concerned with this same subject. The author wants to ensure that we do not lose sight of the explicitly supernatural nature of our faith, in particular, the supernatural return of Christ which will interrupt the rest of those who now sleep. Rest followed by return, followed by resurrection. Verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise. Those who now rest will rise again. Those who sleep will wake again. And the resurrected Christ will be accompanied by his resurrected people. Now that is what is unique about the Christian faith. Not that the soul will live on. Not that Jesus rose from the grave, but that you will rise as well. You may think, wait, 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 that sounds crazy. I don't believe that. You're saying that I will rise again someday, a body? You actually affirm it, would you believe? Every Sunday we stand up as a congregation and you say, we say, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Not Jesus' resurrection, your resurrection. That is unique about the Christian faith. Everyone believes in the immortality of the soul. Only the Christian faith believes in the immortality of the body. And that is not only unique, it is uniquely hopeful. The Bible uses the imagery of a seed to describe our resurrection. A seed is weak and unimpressive. A seed is seemingly devoid of life. And death is always preceded by weakness. Maybe weakness of the mind, but always, always, always weakness of the body. Firm steps become wobbly. Clear writing becomes shaky. And the bereaved grieve because they have seen the weakening of the body and the weakening that leads to the failure of the body. And one day the same will likely be true for us. Strength will give way to weakness and weakness will give way to failure and the body will go down into the dust just like an unimpressive seed, seemingly devoid of life. But as stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 43 and 44, the seed grows into a flower. Just as a seed grows into a flower, so our bodies will grow into glory. Just as the seed was planted in weakness, so our bodies will be raised in power. The Christian hope is not rest. The Christian hope is resurrection. I mentioned one of the final prayers of the Christian service. May the souls of the departed to the mercy of God rest in peace. It is one of the final. It is not the final. The final prayer is that they may rest in peace and may they rise in glory. Rest, return, resurrection. Verse 17, reunion. 
We who are still alive will be caught together with them in the clouds. We will meet the Lord in the air. Who is the them that we will meet? The them is the Christian dead. The them is those who now sleep. It will be like a large family reunion. Don't you love the first day of a family reunion? First day when the hugs and the handshakes. Second day, by day two, even in the best of families, nerves begin to fray. And by day three, you have once again recalled why you only have family reunions every five years. But for the first day, it's great. The reunion of the Christian dead with those who are living will be like a family reunion, good parts only. No secret sins, no hurts. A family reunion, good parts version only. But note that the emphasis of this passage is not on our reunion with one another, but on our reunion with the Lord. Again, verse 17, we will be with the Lord and we will be with him always. God and man has been alienated from one another ever since Genesis chapter 2. But the end is not alienation. The end is reunion and a reunion which leads to rejoicing. For we will be with the Lord and be with the Lord always. Our final R, rejoice. The author provides information, information about the state of those who have died in order to give those who grieve their loss hope. He tells us that the current state of those who die is one of rest. Rest will be interrupted with the return. The return of Christ will be accompanied with the resurrection of all who believe in him. Resurrection followed by reunion. Reunion followed by rejoicing. This is information that is calculated to give you hope in the midst of grief. So can you picture someone you've lost? I'm sure we all can. Can you imagine them resting safe and sound like an infant in the arms of their mother, resting with the Lord? Can you imagine them waking from sleep at the sound of a trumpet? The weakness that caused their body to, body to fail being nothing more than a distant memory, just a faded scar. Now they rise in strength and glory. Can you imagine the happy reunion with them and with the Lord? This is the Christian hope in the midst of grief. And before we come to a close, I think it is necessary to end not on, only on a note of comfort, but also on a note of exhortation. I don't think there's anything more comforting in the face of death than the Christian hope. And therefore, there is nothing more urgent for us than to make our hope secure. Everything that we have just considered, the Christian hope of resurrection, reunion, rejoicing, is all based upon what Christ has done. We skipped over this verse Verse 14, 
we believe that Christ died and Christ rose again, the Christian. Hope for the future is based upon what Christ has done in the past. And those who are by those Christians are those who have been joined by faith to him. So that what was true of him will be true of us. The Christian dead now rest as Jesus rested. The Christian dead will rise as Jesus rose when he comes again. By faith, we are joined to him and our faith and our hope is made secure. So having considered the great hope of the Christian faith, rest, return, resurrection, reunion, and rejoicing, further in consideration of the certainty of our own mortality, I want to urge you to place your trust in Jesus Christ. He died, he rose, and he will come again. A concluding prayer from our funeral service. Lord Jesus, by your death, you took away the sting of death. Grant to us to follow in faith where you have led. That at length, we may fall asleep and rest peacefully in you and wake in your glory and your likeness. Amen.